Storytelling UTSA. Listen, honor, share. Inspired by StoryCorps' mission, which is to preserve and share humanity's stories in order to build connections between people and create a more just and compassionate world. Leadership and Volunteer Services is embarking on an interview collection series inspired by StoryCorps to record and preserve the stories of our community members. Tune in this fall as we start our new series all about resilience. on everybody my name is jasmine taylor i am a senior utsa communications major african-american studies minor and business admin minor um, i am also the vice president of the black student union and i'm a member of women of honor and voices and today i am sitting here with dr carla broadus she was the director of or the um department director of african-american studies how are you doing today miss carla I am doing fine, uh, and they changed my title to project coordinator during the time period from when I um, first met you. Yes. You said we didn't have any directors anymore on campus, so I was the project coordinator for African American Studies. Okay, project coordinator. Okay. Well, I've had the pleasure of knowing you as a mentor, as a professor, but how about you tell the audience a little bit more about yourself? Well, I uh, am a mother of two daughters. Mm -hmm. I have four grandchildren who are super, super special to me. I am originally from Chicago, Illinois, and I ended up in the state of Texas coming to uh, be an admissions counselor at the University of Texas at Austin in 1978. And at the University of Texas, uh, upon my arrival, there was a little lady named Almetris Duren that was a mentor for me. And Mrs. Duren was the person that housed all the African-American students at females at the University of Texas when they weren't allowed to be in the dorm. Uh, based on their race. And Mrs. Duran informed me that I needed to be married. And uh, you didn't tell mom, we call all the uh, African-Americans on campus, called her Mama Duran. You didn't tell Mama Duran, no. <laughs> uh, and she had picked who I was supposed to marry and she did a doggone good job of it. Okay. <laughs> a, a, a year later, I was married. Like she told me I was going to be. In fact, she even went with us on a she and my mother went with us on our first date. <laughs> she wanted to make sure that I went out on the date with him. He was a student as well? No, he, has a, he was a graduate. He had his uh, BA and, and MBA from uh, UT Austin. But she knew him because his parents didn't understand what going to college was all about uh, because it was a public school. And they thought it was going to be a public school, just like going to a public school elsewhere. And so they dropped him off at the University of Texas with groceries and said bye. <laughs> and they didn't realize tuition had to get paid. And she stepped in and took care of him. And so Mama Duren, who has a dorm named after her, Almetris uh, Duren, at UT Austin, was one heck of a role model for me. 
So my background has been in higher ed, but I've also been a uh, fourth and fifth grade teacher, which I would never, ever give that up because that was, that was an educational experience for me. I've been an assistant principal. Uh, my undergraduate degree is from Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, yes. which you and I, that, that was a connection that you and I had, yes. your OSIU. For y'all listening, I'm, I'm from Carbondale, so that was something that we bonded over when we first met. Yes, because uh, you don't, you rarely meet somebody from Carbondale. Uh, and my first uh, graduate degree is from Pepperdine University. And then my second graduate degree is, uh, I have another master's in reading from uh, University of Texas at San Antonio. And then I have my um, certification to be a principal coming from UT San Antonio. And during that experience at UT San Antonio is when two of my professors decided that I needed to be teaching at UT San Antonio. And again, you didn't tell Dr. Bertha Pettis and Bambi Cartagenes no. Uh, in fact, their original uh, request was, oh, just come over here and teach one class. <laughs> and one class turned into two. Next thing I know, I was full time. And so I was originally in uh, the interdisciplinary learning and teaching. It wasn't even called that at that time. It's 1996. Uh, and that has evolved into ILT now, but I used to be the person that taught all of the, or many of the uh, 2B teachers how to teach reading. And so sprinkled out in many of the schools right now are people that I taught how to teach reading. In fact, some of them now have gone on to be principals. Uh, my granddaughter's principal used to sit in my children's literature class. Wow, it's very full circle. Full circle. And then Dr. Uh, Betty Merchant and Dr. Mari Cortez decided that I needed to, they needed someone to take over the African American Studies program. I was a student of African American Studies way back at SIU. And uh, my uh, degree from Pepperdine is in multiple subjects. So I used to get a sprinkle of African-American studies, history, all of those kinds of things in that multiple subjects uh, degree. And so I was asked to go be the uh, director of African-American studies. I was supposed to last two years in those two years turned into four, next thing five. Then you're the director. <laughs> <laughs> Bam, uh, it didn't end. So that's how I ended up as the director is what it was to the, and now the project coordinator for African-American studies. And as you are aware, 
I thought I had retired um, <laughs> in January of yeah. this year, mm-hmm. but I was just asked to come back on March 1st uh, at 20, 25% to see to it that the program continues because there is not a director or a project coordinator for it. So right. I ran away, but I'm running back. <laughs> I was going to say, you're here now in this interview. So, <laughs> and I saw you at the Angela Davis event as well. So, yeah, I, I don't quite, I haven't had the opportunity to experience retirement yet. At some point, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you had quite a few influences um, pushing you towards UTSA in particular, but besides Mama Durham, was there anybody else in particular that was just a really heavy, strong influence for you to get your degree and teach afterwards? Oh, my mother, my Mm -hmm. father, Mm -hmm. the high school that I went to. My mother, you know, I'm a rarity at my age uh, to have a college-educated family background, and I've been blessed with that. My mother was a graduate of Spelman, she and her sister at Spelman College in Atlanta. In fact, that's where I was supposed to go. <laughs> all the boys in my family went to Morehouse, all the girls went to Spelman. It's just I was trying to get away from my big brother because he had already decided who I was going to date and win. <laughs> and my grandmother had decided because I graduated from high school at 16 that I was too young to live in a dorm and I was going to have to live with her in Atlanta. And I said, I wanted to go away to school. So... <laughs> I zoomed down to SIU. Uh, So I also was raised in what I call a village that we weren't given any options about where we're going to college. It was, where are you going to go? Mm -hmm. We weren't given any options as to, are you going to graduate? It was, you're going to graduate in four years, right, with a BA. We didn't have any options. The high school that I went to, I went to Harlan High School, in uh, Chicago, and we laugh about it to this day because we graduated in 1968. We weren't, our group of students, we weren't given an option. Everybody stood up and said, I'm going so-and-so. You were gonna go to college and that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's, that's a very, very direct path that was laid right in front of you. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have any options. There was, there was no discussion. It wasn't a question. It was simply get your degree. And- get your degree. And I'll have to be honest, in my household, there wasn't an option. I told my kids, get your degree. And they both did. <laughs> so that, that, was, that was it. And you were going to marry somebody with a degree. And they both did. And so now the two daughters are married to two men with multiple degrees, both of them. What do they do? My oldest daughter now works uh, for me. My husband passed away in 2013, which was a damper. Uh, And we together had Commonwealth Computer Corporation and when he passed, I just did not. He set me up with, you need to learn how to do business and you need to know what it's all about. Mm-hmm. And drum that into me. So when he passed, 
that was important to keep the business going. So I did. And so my oldest daughter used to work for Accenture, which took her all around the world, taking care of business. And she was always one of the go-getter types. In fact, she teaches Coder Dojo to uh, all of these kids here in San Antonio. She had 90 kids in class last week teaching them how to code. Uh, she came in as the executive vice president. I moved up to the president. And so she works with me now. My younger daughter has started working with me as well. So they're, they're both working with me. That's a beautiful thing that they followed in your footsteps that way. Yes, yes. So going back to UTSA, since you were the project coordinator of African-American studies, what would you say was your favorite part about that role? And as well as that, the most challenging part about that role? My favorite part was all of you students. I mean, point blank, I'm a people person. I love seeing students achieve success. That So it gave me the opportunity to tap as many African-American students as I possibly could, where in the past I tapped students, and that still was important to me because I, I feel young people are our future. So I don't care what race you were, culture, I wanted you to succeed. Right. Uh, but it allowed me to grab hold a little bit better some of those African-American students that maybe were having issues in trying to figure out how to succeed. It gave me a pathway to do so. So that was the most enjoyable part. It, I've always worked out in the community because um, I used to put on the reading program at the Boys and Girls Club on the east side of San Antonio, uh, trying to help those kids learn how to read. But it even gave me more community involvement. Mm -hmm. And I really, really thrived off of being an, somebody who could assist the community in achieving success. That was important to me. Now on the academic side, what was who? <laughs> well, I started immediately trying to figure out how we can have a bachelor's degree in African-American studies. Mm. And still I'm trying to strive for that baccalaureate degree in African-American studies because in the state of Texas, that has not been uh, a primary goal. And when I started researching, I found that all of the top universities in the country have an African-American studies program, whether they call it black studies, uh, whatever name they ethnic studies. If you check any of the top tier universities, they have a program. So if UTSA was going to be a top tier program, we had to have an African-American studies program. Right. And it was very upsetting to me when you think that I was taking Black Studies classes in 1970, and here we are, 2021 20, now. Right. Th this 
we should have stepped up here at UTSA a long time ago. Absolutely. So that's been uh, one of the biggest uh, barriers for me, working on getting all of the certifications for the African-American Studies Program uh, visible, increasing the classes, getting tenure tech faculty on board. I mean, the program at UTSA did not have tenure track faculty for years. Mm-hmm. And we're, uh, or maybe one here and there, one person. So that's been a goal, trying to bring the respectability to the program uh, getting scholarships for the students that are involved in the program. I mean, we're finally going to have a scholarship out there for an African-American studies minor. And then once the major is going to uh, get involved, we'll have that. But just trying to get those kind of things. Try to set up, working as what we can do to set up some endowments for some professors so that if people will look at the program and say, Oh, I want to come over there and teach. That that looks like a good place to be. So some of those bureaucratic things have been some of the hardest. I, I guess one of the other major things that's been a plus for me is watching how we finally have many people here at UTSA participating in the MLK March. Yes. We have worked at it very hard and along with other uh, programs here at UTSA, trying to also find ways to work together with student services and the academic end uh, to make sure that our students were getting the best of all of us. Mm-hmm. So that's been a challenge as well. That I think we've, we've We've answered. Yes. <laughs> well, all of those things do sound challenging, but very rewarding nonetheless. And aside from encouraging that bachelor's program in African-American studies, that wouldn't be the first time that you brought something to UTSA. Um, in fall 2020, you brought the Black Lives Matter course. And I was a part of that. That was, I love that. Um, it's, it's funny because in that class, actually, we watched a documentary about Mizzou and the concerning student, concerned student 1950. And afterwards, I met somebody that was a part of that. And that was a really cool full circle moment. But um, what was that like for you, bringing that, bringing that course to UTSA? I have to say that was one of, one of my highlights, that class and the students that were in the class. <laughs> I mean, I, I kept telling all of you all, I was just feeling so good because I got an enriched opportunity of learning from you all as well as teaching you all. And to me as an educator, I have to be willing to learn all the time. If, when I stop wanting to learn, then I don't need to be an educator. Right. And when I stop encouraging you all to want to learn, then we've got a problem. Mm -hmm. 
I think we had the opportunity to listen to some exciting professors, having all of the different people come into the class. It was so rewarding. And I felt that you all got inspired. I felt that we then inspired people in the community. I feel like we catapulted people at the university. Yes, we did. <laughs> I, you know, just this morning, uh, I had the opportunity to listen to Michelle Norris. Yes, that's what came to mind. As she uh, was introducing Barack, our former president, Barack Obama, for his new book, of which I'm supposed to hold a, uh, for the city of San Antonio, I'm getting ready to uh, hold a book club event uh, this afternoon on that book. So that was very, very, you know, what can I say? That class was awesome. And I've had some students tell me they want the class again. In fact, I just mentioned it to uh, Dr. Elena, our department chair uh, for regs. We've got to figure out who's willing to teach that class again. Right. I would love to see it come back because I, yeah, it was, it was a blast. And some of the people I met in that course, we still talk today. And it was, it was equally rewarding for us as it was for you. So I'm, I'm glad that you enjoyed it so much. Um, why, what would you say it's, important to have courses like that at UTSA? It's important because it allowed students to think. Right. It was not bogged down in a particular textbook. We got to learn from different authors. We've got to learn from different experts within our university as well as the community. And I think that's invaluable because most classes, you only see one person all semester. The person might have a few guest uh, lecturers in, but it's, it's not like getting different points of view and the research that different professors offer uh, is highlighted and then brought together. Right, so it was more, um, you were able to get immersed into it. Right. More than normal. And, and learn about the movement beyond what you see on TV. Right. Because most people don't realize as I explained to you all, that the Black Lives Matter movement, A, was not just African-Americans. Mm -hmm. Many people don't realize that, that there were principles that were being followed. Right. So it was, so it was a growth opportunity. Definitely, because I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that there were multiple um, demographics being reached through the movement. Just I, I knew the primary focus, but I didn't know about the other demographics. So I'm grateful to have learned about that. Um, have there been any actions that you've seen your students from that course take after 
the course was finished that you think were inspired by the course? Yes. Quite frankly, I've seen uh, students from that class take on leadership roles. Yes. <laughs> uh, on campus. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I have received uh, messages. I've been asked to write letters of recommendation for students who sat in that class because they wanted to aspire to achieve higher goals. Uh, I found students such as yourself now taking on a leadership role in an organization. Yes. So most definitely, uh, I have seen that there's an impact. In fact, I know that there was one student that took on a leadership role in a protest here in <laughs> San Antonio. <laughs> wow. That's, I believe it was from that course. I do, because <laughs> I think of all the personalities that we had in there, all of the different people, um, John, Sorma. <laughs> I, I'm definitely going to send this podcast to them so they can hear it. But, um, well, but the beauty of that class it was not just one culture in that class. It was not. And that's something else that I was trying to get people to see. It was not one culture. Right. It was, it was a diverse set of, a diverse it, kids for sure, or students. Yes. Well, okay. So this podcast that we are doing is called Storytelling. Storytelling is all about connecting students this semester with the term resilience. Um, resilience is defined as the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. And as we sit here and discuss more about your story, resilience has been a common theme. So my first question for you would be, what does resilience mean to you? I believe resilience for me means get up, shake it off, move on. Yes. Uh, my mother passed away when I was eight years of age um, at Spelman College graduate. And I had to, as an eight-year-old, figure out, uh-oh, what's going on? That's when I moved from Chicago to Atlanta for a little while and saw my first colored-only sign, knowing that I couldn't, I had to sit at the back of the bus and all of that and had to figure out what the, all that meant. And as I told you students, I thought colored only meant colored water was coming out the fountain. I didn't quite grasp what that meant because I, I had never been put in a situation like that before. So I, I learned at a very early age, you cannot let things that happen to you stop you from functioning. My very, very first job in higher education was at Southern Illinois University as an academic advisor. And I will never forget the uh, person that hired me passed me and said, as I was sitting in the chair waiting to be interviewed, hire her, we need one of them. Mm -hmm. And that was another, whoops, you're one of them. 
we're not a person with a brain, with an education, with the ability to do something. So immediately I said, got to kick butt. You got to show that you're going to be the very best thing walking. Right. So as an academic advisor for those students that were undecided, I got many of the black students to major in engineering, something that they hadn't started an organization called Blacks in Engineering and Allied Technologies. Took students all over the country. Okay, I'm a one of them. Watch out for this one of them. Right. <laughs> and that's been my attitude about everything, including when my husband passed. I said, Okay, so now this has been dumped on me. Hmm. I can't sit back. I don't have time to sit back. So basically, I work two full-time jobs functioning. Wow. Because life is just going to keep happening no matter what's going on. It's going to keep happening. You got to go on. You just got to figure out what's your pathway and deal with it. So that's been... Resilience for me, do it. Figure out how you're going to do it and take off with it. Yes. Well, you definitely embody resilience with those experiences because I know, I know many people that would not necessarily be able to handle all of that and you handled it very gracefully. Everything that you, every hat that you wore, every role that you had, you never never back down from anything. So, well, oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> my, my father always said, do it. Mm-hmm. My stepmother, I had a dynamic stepmother. I, we weren't given the opportunity to just let it go. You know, when I used to try in, in Chicago to walk to school, when we crossed 99th Street to get to 100th and our school, our elementary school was at 100th, we had to cross 99th Street. Mm-hmm. We found out we couldn't do it peacefully because we were being called the N-word and everything else by a group of kids that would just wait for us, Black kids, to come across. So we said, we'll march together. And that was my first time marching. We were marching to school to cross 99th Street to get to the elementary school so that we could get an education. So it's kind of funny when I march in the, in the MLK march, I had to do that just to go to school. In elementary school. In elementary school. Wow. I feel like Black people especially at times have no choice but to be resilient facing those types of obstacles? Well, we need to, we have to be if you want to succeed. Let's let's put it out there. And oftentimes we have to do not just what the job asks us to do. We have to do what the job asks us to plus. We're not able to do just just what the job is. You got to do the job. And because you're going to be evaluated differently. You have to exceed expectations. You've got to exceed expectations every time. Yes. 
So aside from those experiences influencing you to remain resilient, were there any people? I know you said your father, but was anybody, anyone else um, an influence in encouraging you to be resilient? Oh, my husband. Yeah. My husband was an awesome man. This, uh, no, no doubt about it. Like I told you, he said he ended up with an MBA when he was dropped off to school with some bags of groceries. <laughs> he uh, was a manager at IBM, and he had to work his way up into the management. That's how I ended up in San Antonio because of IBM. We used to laugh and say we've been an I've been moved family. <laughs> and I I saw some of the things that he was going through, uh, working his way up, which were similar to what I was having to do. I mean, he's the one who said, uh, you need to get on back in school, go to grad school, get going. That's how I ended up at Pepperdine. Uh, we lived in California then. This is it. You can't stop at a bachelor's degree. And so, yes, him. He, he always shot for the rocket top. And it's kind of amazing. I tell students, always understand in your resilience you need to, you never know when you'll see somebody again and under what circumstance. Yes. And I've preached that even when I was teaching reading at UTSA. I preached that when I was teaching fourth and fifth graders. Uh, in Los Angeles, I taught special ed kids. But I would always tell students, you don't know when you'll see somebody and you don't know what circumstance you're going to see them in. And I've had that happen so many times in my life that I'm, I can't let that forget. And you, a gentleman that was really, really mean to my husband and did some not negative cultural things toward him felt that he could, you know, ah, let me do those things. I will never, ever forget I was moved from the classroom into central office because school district had decided they wanted me to be over all of curriculum. It's not what I, I wanted to be with the students, but that's a whole other thing. They had decided that because I taught many of the uh, workshops for teachers that I was the ideal person for that, which I might have been, but still, I, would, I wanted to be with kids. But I'll never forget, they also put all of the sales for computers in my hands for the elementary school. And a gentleman walked in and he looked and I saw me. I said, hi, Fred. He went, oh, my God. I never thought that I would see you. He was the gentleman that treated my husband ugly. He said, I might as well walk on out of here right now. And I said, Fred, I never said that to you. He said, no. How can I expect you to be fair to me when I wasn't fair to your spouse? But 
never in his lifetime had he ever thought his bread and butter would be based off of seeing somebody again in a whole nother setting. And I really, really believe that. Got to treat people nicely because you don't know when you're going to see them. You do not. I've, I've experienced that myself as a military child. I've ran into people in the grocery store, you know, that I had, I ran into people I knew in Germany here in the grocery store. It's, it happens every day. So I know that. That's, that is right. And if you know that you've treated them fairly and nicely, I have no problem. <laughs> you don't have any problems because some of my old fourth and fifth graders from way back when, uh, email me and send me are my friends on Facebook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I know that too well. I've, I've added my old teachers from elementary school on Facebook, especially military. And I, I do remember how they treated me. So that's, that's very true. All gone right, you do. <laughs> so my last question for you is going to be, if you were to give one piece of advice on staying focused in your journey to graduate, what would you say has helped you stay focused and keep your eye on the goal of graduation when you were a student? Something that I wish I had been mentored on myself in my undergraduate years was the importance of learning your professors outside of the classroom a little bit better, having conversations with them, having a faculty mentor. I think if you have somebody to go to, it's really, really important. And I think a lot of our students feel that, I don't want to go to that old person. They're not going to know anything. And I think because history does repeat itself, We need to really, really work at that having a mentorship program and students need to ask, oh, can I talk to you later? Can I interact with you? Can you give me some guidance on how you feel about this or that that I'm doing? I think it would help a lot of our students. And so if I were to give uh, advice, I would tell them, find somebody that can also boot you in the right direction. And keep you motivated. So when you are going astray a little bit, they can wheel you back in. Right. You want to also, you might have a glorified impression of what a particular degree might get you out here in the public or what it's like to work in a particular area and think that you know everything about it, it wouldn't hurt you to find someone that you can shadow. Just a day, if that's all you can do in a particular job that you think is so wonderful because there might be some underlying things that go along with that job that you have no clue about. You know, a lot of our students Say they're going to go in business. Going in business is fine. But you need to know what all is involved with going into business. Right. And it it could be 
something that you're doing as an undergraduate by not taking care of your financial factors mm-hmm. that could come back and haunt you when you go and ask for a business loan right. that you never, ever even thought of. So that's where it would help for you to find someone that's holding a particular job that you are thinking is wonderful, as well as start talking to those instructors. You might want to ask, you know, how often do many of our students even visit faculty uh, hours? Not very often. It's always been amazing to me how many times students don't even have your last name correct. They don't (laughs) even know who their professor is. Right. And I grant you, that's a little intimidating to be in a, a lecture hall with two and 300 students, but you should always know what the professor's name is. Absolutely. You should always take time out to look at the syllabus. That's always been an amazement to me, the number of students that don't even bother to read, take the time out to read that syllabus and know what the expectation is for you. So I would be studying what my classes are. I would love to tell students, find your village on campus. When I say your village on campus, a village of friends that are doing the exact same things that you plan to do. For example, I always picked my undergraduate boyfriend's based off of um, who's going to go to the library and study. Mm -hmm. Keep you motivated. And the date had to be in the library, especially from, say, Sunday through Thursday. (laughs) If you aren't in the library with me studying, then we don't need to be together. You're probably on the same path. If, if the persons that you are hanging around with, your girlfriends and, and the fellas or ladies, if they're not studying, then you don't need to be with those people. Right. Because they're going to bring you down. You need to have those people that you are around zeroed in on exactly what it is they came here for. College is supposed to be fun. The college is also supposed to be an opportunity to learn and grow. So I would encourage you as a student to put together a village where everybody's got the same ideas you plan on graduating and getting a job, but you want to enjoy the experience. Another thing that I don't think is impressed upon our students, and that's even those high school students that are coming into college. You know, I sit on the uh, Bear County MLK Scholarship Committee. Mm-hmm. And when I look at those applications, so many of our students that are African-American don't take up leadership type positions or roles in high school 
and then they come to college and don't take any leadership type roles. And the leadership role is not supposed to stop you from studying, okay? Got to make sure that you have a balance with that. But when you get ready to apply for a job, if you can't say that I led or I was actively, I did anything to stand out over somebody else, what are you going to say? And then many of the applications ask, were you ever employed before? If you can't say that you did anything, and there's an extreme difference between our minority students and the other students. The other students will put babysitting on their applications because yes. there is employment. <laughs> Minority students, brown and black students, they won't even put babysitting on there. And what they haven't caught on, they were employed. Yes. <laughs> yes. So even so, as a college student, if that's how you are getting a little sideline money, that was employment. Put that on there. Yes, ma'am. You, you, you need to, you, you build, you're, you're in a situation now that you have the opportunity to build yourself up. Mm-hmm. Then one of my biggest, biggest things for students, I can't stand it when a student starts off and tells me how bad they are oh, or their, their assignment is terrible. And I've told students, I'm sure you've heard me say it. Why are you telling me to flunk you? (laughs) I need you to think about if you thought that whatever it is that you turned in was so bad, then why did you turn it in? If you're not going to build yourself up, if you're not going to tell somebody else, well, I'm really great because then how can you expect somebody else to say how great you are? You need to find out what your attributes are that you feel are great, that you could talk to someone else to make them respect you more. Yes. What is there about you? So find out your glory tips. So all in all, keep a supportive village around you, make sure that you're gaining valuable experience during college and figure out what it is that you have to offer. That's right. If if you can't say what you have to offer, how can you expect somebody to see it? That's very true. That's very true. So call time out. Look, Look at who I'm hanging with. If they're doing all the wrong things, then that means that you need to tell them, hasta, see you in the next life. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, Dr. Bradis, that is all of our time. I would like to thank you so much for this and for being open to share your story and your wisdom and allowing other people to listen to your experiences. It means a lot to me, and I know others are going to feel the same way. Well, I really appreciate this opportunity. And I have to tell you that, I I mean, I appreciate all of you as students. Uh, You're going to be the next leaders. Yes. And 
I need you all to lead the world in a way that has us all in a better place. So I'm counting on you all yes, more than you realize. Yes, ma'am. And it's, I appreciate that we have leaders like yourself to look to as motivation to get that work done. So we will. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to Storytelling UTSA. We are so excited to connect our community members with each other. Your story matters. What you've gone through matters. Who you are matters. We want to continue to highlight our community members as many as possible. Head on over to our Rowdy Link page, Leadership and Volunteer Services, and fill out our form, storytelling share your story with us. Let us know who you are and what your story is. We would love to hear from you and get connected.